Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue again in our Sermon on the Mount series with Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Jesus is in rapid-fire fashion correcting some of the errors of application of Old Testament law. He dealt with their hypocritical understandings and applications of you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, and also you shall not bear false witness or swear falsely by my name. Now he's going to deal with a misunderstanding of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The religious leaders of the day twisted this saying to justify taking vengeance in some situations, conveniently setting aside God's clear command that vengeance was for him and his appointed authorities, not for us to pursue. But people have also misunderstood Jesus' teaching here, taking the well-known phrase, turn the other cheek, to an extreme that amounts to allowing ourselves to be used and abused without complaint. Where is the true meaning of Jesus' teaching here? Pastor Jim is going to help us hone our understanding of this passage in today's piece of the message entitled, An Eye for an Eye. One of the reasons that we've commented on the, the, uh, the, the civil justice movement is because it, it's not really seeking God's justice. It's saying, We've decided that wrongs have been done, and we are going to mandate a punishment for that. It, it, it's being God. If you obey God, every evildoer needs to be punished. doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter what their, what their motivation was. The evil act needs to be punished. That's justice. When you start putting adjectives in front of justice, you're just saying, I get to determine how that justice is, and that's a denial of what God says. There are people who've been wronged. That does not excuse rioting, such thing. That's just, I'm just going to show you how mad I am. That's not justice. To excuse or to hide wrongdoing, that's not loving. That's wickedness because that undermines God's order on earth. I think maybe the best way to wrap this up would be to call our attention to a sampling of some biblical illustrations of the spirit that Jesus is calling us to. The spirit that shows the surpassing righteousness that only Christ can give. Consider Abraham. Abraham was called by God. God nudged along with him his nephew Lot, who was a total pain to Abraham. And what did Abraham do? He kept rescuing Lot, despite Lot's propensity for repeatedly causing trouble. And you know, we're never told that Lot was a righteous man until the book of Hebrews? Boy, what patience Abraham showed. Or consider Joseph. He's probably the Old Testament superstar of this. Joseph's brothers decided to 
kill him. Well, one of them thought that was a little rash. Uh, let's sell him instead. Right? He, he winds up being sold into slavery. His dad is lied to. His dad thinks his son has, has died. And then God allowed the situation in which Joseph was in the position, number two in all of Egypt, to bring his brothers to their knees. And what did he do? He forgave them. About 20 years after they sold him into slavery and lied about his death, Joseph said these famous words in Genesis 50, 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they knew their hearts and they knew what they would have done if they were in Joseph's shoes. They would have exacted their pound of flesh. Joseph says, do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? What's he saying? Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He says, and as for you, you meant evil against me. He doesn't soft pedal evil. He calls it what it is. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God is in control, so why would I want to mess with you? That's my paraphrase of what Joseph said. David, he, he was a man after God's own heart, and it shows up when he twice spared the life of King Saul, who was pursuing him. Humanly speaking, David could have scored instant victory. He could have had his revenge, but he refused to take his own vengeance because God had promised to do it in his time. 1 Samuel 24, David had Saul helpless in a dark cave, and he let him go. David's conscience was even pricked over the incident of cutting off the corner of Saul's robe. And in chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, he tiptoed right up to the sleeping Saul, but he refused to harm him. That would have been personal revenge. And we would have probably liked the movie if that's how it was done. But that's not how it played out because David was a righteous man. Elisha provided bread and water to the invading Syrians. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. You remember Stephen's last words? Stephen was arrested for oh, preaching the gospel. Remember when the stones began to rain down on him for that horrible miscarriage of justice? And Acts chapter 7 verse 60 says, Then Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Now, if you want to be snarky, you could say, well, Stephen, who do you want him to hold this sin against, if not them? That's not what he means. They're responsible. Well, what he means is, God, save these people. They, they need a Savior, and they're pelting me because... They don't like the message. Paul, who himself was a former murderer, he wrote Romans 12, 21 that we read. He wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the so-called love chapter, and he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, 
Talk about somebody who had many opportunities to be motivated by personal revenge. He says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. That means he keeps on doing what he was doing, preaching Christ. And ultimately, you have the example of Jesus. He went to the cross. There, while he was on the cross, he bore our sins. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But before he even got to that moment of the sin bearing, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he felt the weight of the, of the wrath of God against all of our sins. What did he say? As that cross was being lifted, dropped into its place after the nails had been driven through his hands and his feet, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen was only echoing what Jesus had said. Now, they knew what they were doing. They were executing a man, and they were really skilled at it. They knew exactly what they were doing, but they had no significance of the, or no concept of the significance of who was on that cross and what he was going to be doing in those next hours. What's the point of this paragraph? It's the same as the paragraph before it and the paragraph before that and the paragraph before that, which is, you can't be righteous enough. You need a righteousness that surpasses what the most so-called righteous people in the world can achieve. You need something you can't do. By the way, this chapter is building to that very crescendo. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you've somehow slipped by however many sermons, however many times you've read your Bible, and you think, you know, I'm... My good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. You know, you're using the wrong scale. Because the scale is, if you ever did one bad thing, you are guilty of eternal hell. Well, that's not fair. I know, and that's why I'm glad you're not the judge. Because God did something that wasn't fair. He sent the innocent to die to pay the penalty for the guilty. That's the message of Christ. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, let's get to the issue of your heart. Don't let spiritual acid eat at your heart. It'll hurt, it'll burn, and you'll miss out on all the joy that you could have. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank you again for the the simplicity, the power, the the life-changing effect of your word. And we humble ourselves before you today and ask you to have your way with each of us, to teach us, to mold us, to shape us. May it be that the people around us can see our good works, even in the context when they're persecuting us, that they could see our good works wrought by your Spirit and glorify you by turning to you. Please don't let a soul leave this place apart from having cried out to you for the salvation that only you can give, and then use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.